Gone are the days of knights and chivalry, and yet that hasn't changed God's vision of you as a man of valor. Today, pornography is a simple mouse click away, and sexual addiction is at an epidemic level. Dr. Mark Laser is an internationally known author and speaker, the leading Christian authority on sexual addiction, and the host of Faithful and True's online radio production, The Men of Valor Program. Here now is Dr. Mark Laser. Welcome to the Men of Valor program, and as we said last week, the men of the men and women of valor, as we've uh, been having the uh, last few times, uh, Debbie with us to talk about uh, some things that we need to think about in terms of building trust back into the relationship. So for those of you that have been listening or want to go back and listen to the first nine points, that's kind of where we are, and today we come to point number 10, and uh, let's just jump in, Deb. So Okay. Well, point 10 is one that I called um, learning to serve uh, rather than placate your wife. And what I, what I know is there are different ways that we show up in our relationships to care, nurture, serve, love another mm-hmm. person. Right. We identify placating as one of the ways that we do things for another human being, but our motivation is not strictly from a place of wanting to nurture or love, but the motivation comes out of more of fear of trying mm-hmm. to please another person so that they won't be angry with you. They won't be angry or they won't leave even. Or so. they won't leave, yeah. yes, possibility. Mm-hmm. Right. One of the things that I know can happen in our journeys because there has been a lot of hurt that has happened from betrayal is that um, some of the, the men um, seek to serve their wives and do nice things for them, maybe things they've been asking for forever. I hear wives talk about, you know, he's amazing. He gets up now and helps with the kids in the morning, or mm-hmm. he cooks dinner for us, or without me even asking, he'll empty the dishwasher or start the laundry. And I've been asking for those things forever, they say. And now, you know, he's just doing those things willingly, and I love that. And I'm not saying that that's necessarily um, not a good thing, mm-hmm. but I am saying that sometimes that can be one of the main ways that a husband is loving, I put that in quotation marks, his wife in terms of trying to keep her happy and not angry with him. And ultimately, there's an underlying motivation that, again, she kind of... Um, has a has an intuitive place that mm-hmm. feels as if he's just trying to earn something from right. her. Mm-hmm. It isn't really coming from an honest place of just serving. I think uh, intuitively, uh, my guess is that they recognize that it is a fear-based thing yes. that they're doing. And uh, the truth of it is that uh, most of the men come into the relationship, you know, deathly afraid of uh, you know losing relationship. They. They, they, you know, they have family of origin reasons for this we don't have time to get into, but generally they grow up with a certain terror that if they don't say and do the right things, uh, someone is going to leave them. So it's a, definitely a, a, a deeply spiritual thing you know, where they have to kind of surrender control so that they can get to an internal motivation where they love their wife and they're doing these things because they do rather mm-hmm. than because they're afraid if they don't, they'll wind up all alone. Mm-hmm. So another word we could put to this is codependency. I know we sometimes resist that word. Mm -hmm. Um, In in essence, it's it's a word that does describe placating. In Mm -hmm. other words, we start to change what we share or what Mm -hmm. we say Mm -hmm. or what we choose to do so as to please another person and Mm -hmm. uh, not create conflict with them. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, I think the problem with that is a person does intuitively know 
there's something missing about the honest, mm -hmm. nurturing, and loving that we long to have from another person. Right. Um, so I, I, I don't want to discourage here men who are doing nice things for their wives right. uh, and vice versa. Right. I think one of the things we're trying to encourage is that we can do those things and we can also be honest about the things we need to talk to that are bothering us about another mm -hmm. person or things we would like them to think about working on doing differently or ways they have hurt us. Sure. I think one of the ways we know that someone is being honest with us in terms of how they're trying to love us is they share both of those things. Right. It's kind of an ampersand, isn't it? It's I mean, a definite ampersand. Yeah. Right. Maybe you should explain that a little bit because uh, oh. we talk about the ampersand <laughs> around here all the time, but... Uh, uh, maybe some of our listeners are not quite as familiar with that. Yeah, it's always good to kind of reintroduce re, um, our ampersand theory that yeah. we use here, which is that the truth is complicated. Mm -hmm. And the truth usually involves a both and, not mm -hmm. an either or. Right. The truth is usually not black and white. Mm -hmm. And so in this case, too, um, serving someone by doing nice things is a very nice way to um, show that you care about them. And it's also important that if you have issues about things or you're hurt by something or you're angry about something, mm -hmm. that you can share that as well because mm -hmm. that is also loving another person, is right. being brutally honest about those mm -hmm. things. And so that's an ampersand. That's it's a both ampersand. and. Right. Well, there's so much more there. In fact, I think there's even a book about it. But it's basically saying, too, the ampersand is that uh, external and internal motivation can coexist at the same time. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, all, it's not necessarily always black and white. There are times when we're doing things because we're afraid if we don't, there'll be a, a negative reaction. And there could be mixed in there the fact that we are, in fact, just trying to show our spouse that we do love them. So, All right. Well, do you want to move on to number 11? Number 11. 11, I which know. I don't like. I know. <laughs> My little titles maybe are a little triggering. Yeah, are I'm, they? Just, I'm reading ahead as I am one to do, and this one bothers me. Yeah. As, as with many of these things, these are things, you know, probably as wives we're working on these two to build trust with yeah. you all. Yeah, sure. So this is not a one-way street here in terms of mm -hmm. things we're working on to mm -hmm. um, become healthier individuals and grow intimacy in our relationship. Um, but number 11 I titled um, Finish Growing Up. And by that I mean I think for all of us as we're working through developmental stages of our lives, uh, we know psychologically that we have many stages we work through in mm -hmm. terms of becoming a fully mature adult. Mm -hmm. And I think what we know is because of abuse that occurs in mm -hmm. many people's lives or neglect of some kind, mm -hmm. that this interrupts a person's developmental right. process. And by that we mean that sometimes we end up being adults that are fairly needy about some mm -hmm. things. Right. and. Um, I think the problem in our relationships is on the front end, our neediness can look kind of fun and mm -hmm. attractive. Yeah, it's like and the I, infatuation stage. It yeah. is. And in infatuation, it's like the thought that you are a, a fully grown, successful, charming mm -hmm. uh, leader type adult and you need me for something because you're incapable of doing that mm -hmm. is um, it could kind of boost my self-worth, perhaps, in yeah. a way mm -hmm. for each other. I think sure. that happens both ways. But I think what happens is our neediness becomes not very attractive yeah. along the way. Mm -hmm. And neediness, by that I mean some of the things that we show up with, uh, you know, an inability to take care, for our, uh, take care of mm -hmm. ourselves. We may feel like we can't 
do a very good job of parenting our own children, that, you know, mm-hmm. being with them alone is awfully scary. We think we, we couldn't do that. Or um, for a lot of people, we don't know how to take care of our own car, or we don't know how to make our own medical appointments. Or, mm-hmm. I mean, the list could go on and on and on about, you know, things we need somebody else to do. I often kid in my groups with women that uh, I've had a neediness over the years with the remote control. You know, it's uh-huh. like I, uh-huh. I I show up looking like totally incompetent in terms of putting in a movie and running the DVD, and I turn it over to you because I think you like technology and our mm. sons do as well. And so, you know, in some ways it's like, come on, you know, Deb, figure this out. And no. uh, so th- that's a small example, but there may be other things. Financially, mm. maybe we show up being very needy in that department. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just saying that building trust with someone, I think, is knowing that they are choosing us for us, for me. Yeah. That you're choosing me for me, not because you need me to be able to manage some part of your life that mm-hmm. ideally as an adult, you could manage that for yourself. You could be a standalone person if you needed to be. Yeah, you come through the uh, infancy stages of development, the adolescent stages of development. One of the theories has always been that uh, for those men that uh, come here that were you know, abused somehow, you get kind of arrested in t- terms of your development at the age in which you were first abused. So mm-hmm. some of them that were abused early, they're really stuck in kind of some of the infancy stuff, one of which is, uh, and we're fans of uh, Eric Erickson's stages of development, but is uh, what he called uh, being able to trust versus mistrust. And some of us uh, come into relationship, even as adults, with an impaired ability uh, to trust, which you know is, a, is an old, 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 you know, childhood issue. And mm-hmm. that's kind of what you mean about growing up, isn't it? That's right. Yeah. That's right. As I'm hearing the two of you, what I think is really entertaining because my wife Cindy and I go through a lot of the same things. Sometimes I think it's a combination of talents that you each bring to the table. Mm-hmm. And where yours might be technology with that, hand me the remote because Cindy is the same way. She'll look at the remote control and go and, you know, she gets a little glassy eyed or something, you know, and then there's another arena that you just rock, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and Mark knows that he is going to turn to you Mm -hmm. because you know that you do that so well. Like finances. It's like finances and Cindy is the same in our, Mm -hmm. she's a banker. And, and so she handles all of that for us. Mm -hmm. And then when it comes to technology or electronics or that kind of thing, then it kind of, it's like, thank goodness we have each other Mm -hmm. because, because we're there for each other. Yeah. And it's not a competition. It's a support system. I don't know. Uh, I think the difference between what I'm talking about here, though, Randy, is not not that we bo- both bring different gifts and talents to our relationship, because that is what makes us stronger mm-hmm. as a as a partnership than either of us individually. But the point I'm making is that um, I think when we identify areas where we could consider ourselves totally helpless and we cannot be okay without somebody else stepping in Mm. to take care of that, that's different than being an expert at that or always being the best at that, but it's, it's learning how to at least some basic levels be able to manage certain things in our life so that we could be a standalone person. Mm-hmm. And again, I say that because I believe that we feel most loved by someone else and we can trust another person's love for us when we know that we're there for them because of 
who we are, not always what we can do for them. That's right. Mm-hmm. And that's a very different distinguish, uh, distinguishment from, mm-hmm. that's not a word, is it? But no, this, but <laughs> whatever that word is, you've, I'm looking for distinction. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> that's the word I'm looking for. Yeah. A very different, you know, uh, difference in terms of, of mm-hmm. how we show up in our relationship. Sure. You are listening to Mark and Debbie Laser, and this is the Men of Valor program. Do you struggle with the use of pornography? Faithful and True is a Christian-based counseling center specializing in the treatment of sexual addiction and compulsive behavior issues. Our well-trained staff has the highest levels of clinical expertise combined with personal experience to understand and effectively treat your sexual addiction. We have a proven track record for helping men who are seeking a transformation in their lives. Our Men of Valor three-day intensive workshops, led by Dr. Mark Laser and Dr. Greg Miller, are the most effective and affordable treatment program in the country. Our workshop alumni rate our workshops as life-changing. We also offer workshops for spouses and couples. If you're ready to make a change in your life and are seeking a treatment program provided by the top Christian experts in the sexual addiction field, visit us today at FaithfulAndTrue.com to learn more. That's FaithfulAndTrue.com. Time now for the Trigger of the Week. Trigger of the Week is uh, kind of a general one, and uh, it's a recognition of the point that uh, there are triggers that trigger some people and not others. So, uh, just keep that in mind. But uh, what we were thinking about is that we just came through uh, the period of the Winter Olympics. And uh, a couple of the guys have mentioned to me that there's uh, parts of it that they cannot watch because they get too triggered. And that is mainly the uh, the female figure skating stuff, which would also include the, the pairs and the ice dancing and that kind of thing. Because, you know, there are certain positions that are uh, pretty uh, provocative that they get into. And then there's sometimes costumes that some of them get into that are just uh, a little bit more on the provocative side. So anyway, we're just saying that uh, for some, uh, you know, they have to limit uh, even watching something that uh, a lot of people were watching the Winter Olympics because of the fact that some of it might be triggering. So that's a kind of a short one. Sure. But that's but effective. One. Short yeah. but effective. Yeah. Well, let's return then to our uh, our series. Uh, when you have broken her trust and Deb, you have another point for us. I do have another point. This seems to be a big one um, with wives as as we talk about this Mm -hmm. in our counseling and groups, and that is a desire for their husbands to initiate Mm -hmm. more. Mm -hmm. And why is this part of trust building? I don't know. It just is. Um, You know, initiating seems to speak about a lot of things to wives. I think one of the big things it speaks to, and this isn't necessarily true, but when someone does initiate, I think it tells them internally uh, you care about me, and, and I'm and important to you. In terms of our concept of the seven desires, I think uh, initiation is about being chosen. I mean, uh, we're initiating with you, we're sharing things with you, because we choose to. We we, we want to do it, and uh, I think that's uh, very important. And I think historically the men have been pretty bad at it. You know, they they can initiate things with other stuff, but, you know, and they may be quite good at, you know, wherever they're working, and you know, and that kind of thing, but... 
when it comes to those more intimate relationships, uh, they, they get into that fear place and, they, and they, sh- they shut down and they don't initiate. But I think being able to do that is one of the major character things and one of the major growth areas uh, for the men. Mm-hmm. And I think you, you were really right when you said that oftentimes wives see their, their husbands initiating all over the place outside of the yeah. ma- marriage and family. And it, it gets even more confusing then when there are great initiators in their workplace or mm-hmm. in their church roles or whatever yeah. it is. But for some reason, they don't see it at home. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that is one of the things that speaks very loudly to this person is changing when they right. get better at initiating. And, and also, too, I think an experience for a lot of women who are married to sex addicts is they've been great initiators, some of them, not all of them, mm-hmm. at wanting sex with them. Right. But maybe not other things like conversation or helping them with decisions that are important for the family or other things where they would feel included mm-hmm. and feel important to the partnership. Right. Um, and I do say not everyone because I, I also know that 30% of our population even with sex addiction, mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily make them good initiators at sexuality in the That's marriage, right. mm-hmm. which, by the way, is even a more painful thing for those wives who know they're dealing with sex addiction, but then they're not even being chosen that way. The husband is choosing things outside the marriage, right. but not inside the marriage. It's kind of a sexual anorexia even inside the uh, the marriage. and it's, it, But it is part of that overall kind of emotional shutdown place where we're feeling too afraid to initiate. Mm-hmm. I think, you know? Do you think you could speak to some of the reasons you know about why why maybe the husbands you're working with are not good at initiating? Uh, you've kind of taken me aback there. I like, let me think. Do you have something in mind that would trigger me into? Well, I'm. You know, we often talk about this in our groups, and just in terms of initiation in general. Yeah. Because I think what is true is this is not a gender thing. First of all, this yeah. is not something women are great at and men are not, mm-hmm. or addicts are not, and you know, mm-hmm. spouses are. I, I think a lot of it comes from first of all what was modeled in our home and what mm-hmm. we were allowed to do in terms of initiating when we were younger. Mm-hmm. I think for some of us, we were encouraged to initiate, and we were encouraged to have our thoughts and needs and Mm -hmm. experiment in life and fall and fail and whatever, and so Mm -hmm. initiating was not scary. Yeah. Uh, We could do those things, and Mm -hmm. we were welcomed in those places. I I think for some, um, initiation wasn't encouraged. In fact, maybe children were to be seen and not heard, or they weren't given um, a lot of places to... Um, even participate in family because family was done for them or their life was uh, more or less directed right. for them mm-hmm. by Taking adults in their mm-hmm. life. So I think some, a lot of the root causes for initiation are very, very much older than what shows up clearly in our marriages. Well, it goes back to some of the old core beliefs, I think, that uh, if you knew me, you wouldn't like me. And uh, so if I initiate something that's of an intimate nature, uh, I'm going to screw it up and uh, uh, you'll get to know me, but you won't like me. I do think some of it is modeling. Uh, I do think uh, a lot of it is just terror, you know, that I'm just afraid of uh, the level of intimacy that it could produce. Mm -hmm. And do you think also the terror might be the fear of making mistakes? Yes. Mm -hmm. Because for a lot of young people, when they make mistakes, there's big consequences for that. That's right. And whether it's shaming them or making fun of them, which is shaming as well, or Mm -hmm. punishment of some kind, or an expectation that they should be more perfect, so they kind of take out this idea that experimenting with life would be a natural part Mm -hmm. of kind of strengthening those muscles, that initiation part of who they are. Mm -hmm. 
So there are a lot of things that I think we want to go after when we look at what that's about. I think what I'm saying is in helping the wives, even though this is an important part about building trust in the character of their spouse and Mm -hmm. trusting that they love them for who they are, and some of that shows up by their initiation of things in the marriage, Mm -hmm. but also of helping them to see that it can be about other things too. Mm -hmm. It can be about a lot of other things. And so we want to be careful Mm -hmm. about making meanings about initiation, which is a very easy thing for us to do. I think it's, uh, like we were saying, I mean, it may be uh, common for a husband to be able to initiate sexuality. Uh, It might be a little easier to initiate emotionally. I think the hardest thing uh, for the men to initiate is spirituality. Uh, And this goes back to that uh, kind of almost double life you were talking about that, you know, like for me, you know, an ordained pastor, uh, you know, I can pray in front of a thousand people, but you know, praying together, just the two of us, that for some reason, historically at least, has always been a little bit hard for me to initiate. So does that make sense? Mm-hmm. It's because it's so much more intimate and uh, whatever is the fear there, that's, you know, that's what I get into. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So maybe what's true is, you know, a lack of initiation for many of us is more about fear than right. anything else. Right. And if we could begin to understand what our own personal fear is about that, we could begin to make choices then to initiate because that's the person we want to become. Well, even if we initiate that we're afraid, uh, initiate talking about the fact that we're afraid of it or, you know, what some of the reasons for that might be. But I think for a wife, you know, building trust when seeing her husband initiates, speaks to her about, I want to be known by you. Yeah, right. And it's, I want to share my life with you. Right. And you are special to me, and I am worthy enough to be known. Mm-hmm. And those things um, ultimately build trust. I want to include people. you. I think that's and one I of the... I want to include you. Yeah, it's, exactly. it's a lot about being chosen and being included, mm-hmm. I think, also. Mm-hmm. And being known and, you know, all those very important things that we talk about. So, Well, I think this is a huge one. I do think it's a long-term thing, and it's... A, it's part of the ongoing character development, as we've been talking about. So, mm-hmm. Well, we've come to number 12, and uh, we have a couple more points to make, and I think we're going to save that for our grand and glorious uh, finale. finale next week. So That's an exciting idea. Okay. Uh, we're, <laughs> we're going to call it uh, uh, quits for today, then. And uh, again, Debbie, we continue to thank you for this. This is a, a great series that you have brought to us, and we appreciate it greatly. And I'm sure our listeners are enjoying it as well. You have been listening to Mark and Debbie Laser. The series is called When You Have Broken Her Trust. I'm Randy Everett, your co-host, and we hope that you're enjoying this series. We hope that this coming week will be a week that's filled with many blessings and with great vision. You've been listening to the Men of Valor program with Dr. Mark Laser. For information about this program or to learn more about Faithful and True, visit us at faithfulandtrue.com. That's faithfulandtrue.com.